Welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Nordic Football Podcast. I'm joined by Jonathan Fadugba. Welcome to the uh, latest episode, John. Steve, it's good to be back. The sun is out. The World Cup is on. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Um, you know, very nice weather at the moment and uh, World Cup fever certainly hit pretty uh, hard and I think that's where we're going to start, isn't it? Because uh, Sweden have kind of surprised everyone so far, haven't they, In the uh, over in Russia there? They definitely have, mate. They definitely have. How are you enjoying the World Cup? Yeah, you know what? I've been really surprised by it, pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect it to be quite such a, a great spectacle uh, in Russia. You know, there was doubts about it overall and um so i often things off the field affect on the field and uh but it hasn't been that way has it and uh, there's been some great matches uh it started really with that spain three all against portugal didn't it i think that really set the ball rolling and it's kind of developed from there i mean every single team has scored at least two goals in the world cup for the first time ever which is absolutely sensational so uh, and and it really feels to me like it's a wide open tournament so i think it's been great viewing so far how have you seen it? Yeah, it's been good. I was out in Russia uh, for the beginning. So, yeah, it's been really good to sort of see it close quarters. I uh, didn't get to the Sweden game, unfortunately. But, um, no, it's, uh, I'm really enjoying the tournament. I think the France-Argentina game was the game of the tournament for me so far. That was just absolutely sensational. Uh, but there's been loads of good games. And, obviously, Sweden doing really well. So, that's good. Yeah, I missed it. I was on the cricket field yesterday for this Argentina game. And, Seems like I missed one of the best World Cup games ever. So we're uh, rather gutted about, about, about that one. But, uh, you know, it's uh, who do you think at the moment then? Who's your, who's your tip to win it, John? Mm, it's a difficult one to call. I'm not really sure. I think if, if France do play the way they played against Argentina, although te- tactically Argentina were shocking, to be honest, in terms of playing a high line against one of the best uh, counter-attacking players in Mbappe, one of the fastest players in the world, Kante uh, and... Pogba, who's one of the best long passes in the world, playing a high line against them with such an old midfield. But France really took them apart, to be honest. And if they carry on like that, then they're going to be hard to beat. Brazil have got that sort of Champions League semi-final club team sort of feel about them. They, they seem, they've they got that balance and that European organisation with a bit of Brazilian flair. That's how they feel. The, the way they play, it's like watching, I don't know, Atletico Madrid or Bayern Munich or something like that. Um, they'll probably go far, but who knows? Maybe we'll have a new winner uh, or even England. Who knows? Yeah, I think, I mean, I said pre-tournament, France were my pick. Um, I wasn't that impressed with them in the in the group stages, but, you know, teams grow in this tournament and because they're already in the quarterfinals, you know, that's already a big positive, isn't it? So, um, but, you know, as a dark horse, I think Croatia have looked quite good. There's this talk about England and whether it's coming home or not, but, um, you know, let's see, long way to go. Um, let's, let's talk about Sweden because they're in that sort of section with, with England potentially. And, I mean, not a lot of people thought they were going to escape the actual group itself. And I think even even more people gave them less chance after they lost to Germany in the last minute. But they really turned things around and they've looked a really solid solid unit, haven't they? Yeah, it's been a really good World Cup so far for Swedish fans. I think everyone's enjoying the tournament uh, out in Sweden. I don't think um, anyone has much to complain about from a Swedish point of view. Obviously, the 3-0 win against... Mexico to qualify was was a really good result and and um, helped get over the sort of disappointment against, against Germany where <clears throat> they did have chances to kill Germany off obviously with the Germans having ten men um, but it fell to that Tony Cruz goal late on which was re- another highlight of the tournament uh, in terms of moments but yeah the Germans are out and the Swedes are through. 
they've had a bit of an interesting journey to get to this stage of the um, the World Cup. Not not just actually in Russia itself, but the qualifying. I mean, they dismissed teams like Holland, Italy in the um, in the playoff round, and uh, they seem to be enjoying this underdog tag and uh, how much credit do you give the manager Jan Anderson? Yeah, he's done a really good job. Um, obviously, he's getting a lot of praise in Sweden for the job he's done. He's brought the squad together. He's brought a collective. I think they remind me a bit of a kind of um, Atletico Madrid type team where they, they, they play sort of a low block, um, kind of a 4-4-2, solid base. I remember they played a similar system and the under-21 level, which served them well. Um, yeah, two two strikers, and uh, I think they've I think they've done really well in that in that sense. Um, I like what he's done. Obviously, he had a good career with with North Shopping, was successful there as a manager. Um, bit of a no nonsense guy. You, you see him strolling up and down the touchline like an angry angry dad, um, shouting at the refs, claiming for VAR decisions, claiming for penalties. Um, certainly looks a bit of a tough tough guy at times, but um, he's done a fantastic job really. And yeah, they go into the into the uh, next game and the knockout rounds with, with optimism. In terms of the players then, which ones have really stood out to you in the Swedish squad in Russia um, out of that lineup? Well, I think it's difficult to overlook the uh, impact. I know it's a predictable one, but Victor Lindelof uh, at the back has been really, really good. Um, he's kept a solid you know, base and he's helped them you know, keep, keep clean sheets. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult actually because they've... You can't really pick out any of them. I mean, they kept two two clean sheets, um, conceded two to Germany, obviously. But it's hard to really you can't really criticise anybody. I think Granqvist has been a star, obviously, with his, his penalties. Um, I really like Ludwig Augustinsson, uh, the left back. I've been following him for for many years, his his career, and he, he's been really really good as a left back. Uh, I really like him as a player. He scored obviously uh, the opening goal against Mexico um, from the left hand side. Uh, past Ochoa, and yeah, he's he's been he's had to you know he has to be praised for his impact, but really, you know, you you could go through the whole lineup and and and, and praise all of them. To be honest, it's, it's really hard to sort of in, pick an individual. Um, you know, if you look at it from front to back, I think um, Olsen in goal has, has really stood out. Is really good. There was some criticism about him in the Germany goal cruise. Could he have done better? But to be honest, he looks a really good pickup, and I think. He's going to have quite an interesting career to follow after this tournament. He might be, you know, there might be people looking at him as a keeper. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at, I mean, if you go from start to finish of the team in a four-four-two, you've got Lustig, Lindelof, Grantqvist, Augustinsson, Larsson, Ekdal, Forsberg, Klassen, Berg, Toivonen. And which one do you sort of say hasn't done well? Mm, difficult to say, really. Maybe Seb Larsson hasn't hasn't been incredible, but you know, to be honest, there's not one you can really fault at and, and and say that's been poor. I think the player that stood out to me is Augustinsson. And a bit like you, I followed him. I remember seeing him quite a lot in the Champions League for FC Copenhagen. And uh, I do believe he had a fairly solid first year at uh, Werder Bremen. So, yeah, he's he's caught my eye a bit. And uh, I'll tell you a player who surprised me has been uh, Ola Toivonen. Um, I've got to be honest, he really had a poor year for Toulouse down in France there. I think he's one of them players who actually tends to play better for his country than his club. You know, you do get the odd player like that down the years, don't you? And um, he seems to have a really a much better impact in the Sweden team than he does at club level and uh, kind of raises his level a bit. And certainly the role and duty that he performs here suits the team. So, uh, yeah, I think across the board, they've, they've generally done quite well. And 
it's got this much against Switzerland now. Um, how do you see it going? Well, just quickly, Tuivenen took his goal really well, didn't he, against Germany? And um, yeah, you know from French football, he, he's not exactly been amazing at, at Toulouse, which is a, a bit of a strange one. But yeah, he's looked really, he's looked sharp up front for them. Um, yeah, in terms of the Switzerland game, it's going to be a big game, isn't it? It's going to be a, a massive game, really. Sweden looking to progress to the quarterfinals. Um, you know, they're going to sort of replicate their World Cup 94 campaign, potentially. Uh, or even go to the, you know, replicate 1958 when they got to the final. It's it's hard to say for now, but, you know, they, they've got a really solid base. I think they are overlooked. Uh, I think people are underestimating them massively when you look at the fact that they eliminated the Dutch, um, beat Italy over two legs in the playoffs, and obviously, you know, have come through a group now with Germany in it. I think they're being massively over, overlooked because people seem, you know, this whole talk in England about them being on the, better side of the draw and stuff like that you know they if they face sweden you know compact organized side there's no guarantees they're going to beat a team like sweden so i think they're being a bit arrogant to, to sort of claim that playing sweden could be easy um but of course they have to get through uh, switzerland first it will be a very good game i think um although you said off air didn't you you think it might be a nil nil potentially i just think the stakes are so high aren't they and uh, you know the swiss typically are quite compact and uh although one thing i will say about switzerland in this world cup they don't seem to have played very well in any first half they've done well after the interval in certainly against brazil serbia but they they have not played a consistent 90 minutes and that maybe could that cost them against sweden who knows but i mean the way i feel it just sort of a draw inside 90 minutes maybe the sort of game that will go all the way to penalties but yeah, I mean, as far as the media and as far as the fans are concerned, you know, if, if England was to play Switzerland or Sweden, then it would be a pretty much a walkover, according to a lot of people, a very easy match. So uh, maybe Sweden are being overlooked a bit. But I suppose you you see the team on paper. There's, you know, apart from perhaps Forsberg, there's not really any um, big, big star names. And that's what, what people look at who don't really know football that well sometimes. So... Yeah, if yeah, it was to be, football's not a, you know, football's not an individual game, is it, Steve? I mean, how many times do we need to be reminded of that? <clears throat> Lionel Messi and Ronaldo went home on the same day yesterday, and um, I think it's worth bearing that in mind. I mean, John Guidetti, who, to be honest, I think he gets a bit of um, overhyped at times, but uh, he came up with a really interesting quote um, ahead of the game or after the, after the Mexico game, saying that the, you know, if you Google team, you'll get a picture of us. He said, and he, and he described them as sort of being a club team, um, saying that the relationship between them. You know, is, is 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 outstanding. They've got a real team bond, a team unity, a real belief within themselves, and I think that that is the core of a, of a good team, really, isn't it? And a good squad, and, and at World Cup level, all right, individual talent is important, but yeah, I don't think you can overlook uh, Sweden in that sense. I mean, what have you seen? Have you seen much of Switzerland yourself? Yeah, I've seen more of Switzerland than than Sweden, funnily enough. Um, as I said, they seem a really sporadic team to me who are capable of playing really well in 10, 20 minute bursts. And, but over the course of a 90 minutes, they don't, they don't seem to be able to do it consistently and they have too many flat spots, but they've been getting away with it. Like really Brazil and Serbia should have been out of sight against them at least two nil, but they weren't and they were made to pay for it. So I think Switzerland um, kind of there, you can't underestimate Switzerland, but overall there's enough chinks in their armor to, uh, you know to take advantage of i just i really hope that both teams actually have a go you know um and back themselves to, to score some goals here because 
my my feeling is that it will get a bit tight and there'll be both teams will be afraid to lose too much and it would be it would be understandable it's a world cup last 16 and the, you know from their point of view, they will look at the quarter-final against England and Colombia themselves and think, hold on a minute, we're not playing anyone special here potentially either. So for Sweden and Switzerland, it's a, it's a nice draw. So, yeah, the stakes are high. But I, I do hope both manage to express themselves in the way that, that they're capable of doing, you know? Yeah, of course, yeah. But in terms of the, the team solidarity of Sweden, you write about this, and we're just going to have a quick talk about the particular unsavoury incident regarding... Uh, Jimmy Dermas and uh, the, the team really showed great solidarity in the wake of his the abuse that he received um, after the Germany game. Yeah, of course, I'm, that's one thing we need to talk about, I think, which is, is, is quite a cultural thing, really, and a social thing, and I think we can't ignore it, um, obviously. Yeah, the story being that after the Germany game, uh, Jimmy Dermas, who gave away the free kick leading up to Tony Cruz's goal, winning goal in the last minute, um, was subjected to all kinds of... Uh, pretty horrible racist abuse, to be honest. Um, you know, it was, it was an unsavory incident. Um, lots of people on Instagram and things like that sort of uh, you know, calling him out and, and, and sort of accusing him of, well, I'm not going to repeat some of the things that they said about him. Um, obviously, he has a background, a kind of a, a Syriac background um, with his wonderful beard. I think it's probably the beard of the tournament. Um, but uh, yeah, the fact is he was born in Odebro, so you know, the, the abuse is quite quite harsh and there's been a lot of it, really. Um, and, you know, it was really out of order, I think. I mean, for one, John Gaudetti had a chance to square it to Forsberg to make it 2-1 and, and qualify Sweden there and then and knock out Germany at the time. Um, and then a minute later, obviously, they went up the other end of the pitch. The, the free kick was poor from Dumas to concede, but nobody deserves that sort of abuse. Their family, you know, people wishing death upon his family members, things like that. Um, really, really unsavoury. But what was really good and what the positive thing that we can look at that came out of it was that um, the whole Swedish team the next day did a press conference and Dermas gave a speech basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm Swedish, I'm proud to be Swedish, uh, and essentially, and uh, excuse my language here, but um, the words from the squad in, and themselves uh, was, uh, the, the bottom line of the, the message from the squad was, uh, fuck racism. And they all said it out loud and it was like filmed by everyone. And, you know, it was a really, really wonderful moment, actually, I think, of solidarity between them, which showed the unity they have. Uh, they were all hugging him and stuff. And he, he obviously was a bit affected by it. Um, even in Sweden, actually, there's been a bit of a follow-up follow from that. They've, they've had um, a, a, a sort of a demonstration, really, or a kind of um, a lot of fans came out in support, basically, and had a kind of like a march, a, a kind of a gathering to, to support him. Um, and that shows you that, you know, there's a lot of great people in Sweden. And, and that's one thing I know for a fact, having, having been there and lived there myself, you know, the people are really, really nice and as much as they, he was subjected to some disgusting abuse, there was a lot of well wishes as well and that kind of thing. So that's a positive side to it. And hopefully, you know, the the message is that that kind of thing isn't tolerated and and um, an arm around Jimmy Dermas of support will help him. Yeah, so that's good to hear. And um, it was, uh, as I say, it was, it was unsavory what happened uh, off the field there. Um, I say just, OK, prediction then for the, for the big match, uh, Sweden against Switzerland. How do you see the game tactically panning out yourself then here? Yeah, it's a good question, Steve. I think um, I think it will be a bit of a clash of styles. Um, not many teams have actually scored in the counter-attack in, in this tournament so far, but, but Switzerland are one of the teams to have done so, uh, along with, I think, Colombia, Croatia, Nigeria and Belgium. I think they're the main teams who have scored from a counter-attack in South Korea. Uh, and Mexico, sorry. Um, but... You know, Sweden play that low block. They 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 try not to get caught out by that kind of thing. 
Uh, I think they'll have to be really careful of, of Shakiri's presence. I think sort of that nippy kind of player who maybe gets between the lines will, will be a threat for them uh, potentially. But I'm expecting something from Manuel Forsberg in this tournament. I don't think he's really set the world alight to be honest, considering he's their sort of star player supposedly. I'd like to see a little bit more from him in, in, in this group stage. Uh, sorry, in this in this knockout game, <clears throat> and um, I think that'll be a key factor. Can he sort of have an impact as well? Because Switzerland, I don't think they're the best team uh, defensively. Really, they do leave gaps uh, between the midfield and defence as well, which which Forsberg can exploit. So I think it'll be a really fascinating game. I know you said you think it's nil nil written all over it. it. It could turn cagey, but the way this World Cup Cup's gone, there's been so many goals, and, and you know I'm hopeful of another good game really with a, an interesting quarter final at stake, isn't it? If uh, for the winner. It certainly is going to be interesting. I mean, just say Sweden were to play England. You 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 said you know a little bit earlier that Sweden's compact style could be a real frustration for for the three lines. Just how much of a problem could Sweden cause them? Do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sort of jump the gun, obviously, and um, and assume that this game is done. But yeah, it's it's a good question. I think they. I don't think that they can take. I don't think England should be taking. Uh, Sweden lightly if Sweden were to qualify that's for sure I mean I think it would be complete arrogance to do so uh, I think England are good at set pieces um, I think they're enterprising but one thing I've noticed about England is they, they certainly um, drop tempo in second half of games uh, and I think one thing about Sweden is they'll, they'll keep sort of um, their fit and they're organised so I don't think necessarily they'll go disappear out of the game in the way that sort of Panama did um, England will Certainly cause them a threat if it was to happen. But um, I think that Sweden would be a real match for them as well if, if, if they were to qualify. But yeah, let's obviously um, see how the Switzerland game goes first. Eh? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, as I said, my prediction for the Switzerland game is nil-nil. Um, I think if it was to be Sweden against England, it's the sort of game England would struggle in. Yeah, they, they do struggle to break down these sort of teams, don't they, sometimes? So, yeah, I think that would be quite a tight match as well, really. Who knows? Maybe a bit of individual brilliance from someone would would, would make the difference. Regarding Forsberg, uh, I agree with you. I think a lot was expected of him, but uh, from what I'm aware, he didn't have the greatest season, did he? Uh, in this particular campaign, I think injury struck him a bit. I don't know if he's quite as sharp as he would like to be, but maybe there is something to come from from the supposed star man. Let, let's wait and see. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with you on that. Okay, also let's move on to uh, domestic matters in Sweden. And uh, just, there's been a bit of break in the Alsvenskan, but there's been a bit of uh, interest off the field. And uh, well, I think we're going to have to start with the Ossesson situation. Obviously, uh, with Graham Potter moving moving down over to England, uh, and uh, they've replaced the Englishman with with someone we're well familiar with, Ian Birchnell. What do you think about this one? Yeah, good appointment. Obviously, we've had him on the show, so uh, I'm slightly biased in my assessment. But uh, yeah, really happy for him. Um, I think it's, it's a fantastic opportunity, to be honest. Uh, one, of the, one of the top teams in Sweden over the last sort of two or three years uh, in terms of their achievements, winning the Swedish Cup and uh, Europa League achievements. It's a real tough job to go into with Graham Potter. I mean, I know it's only temporary at the moment, but regardless of that, it's still um, tough game to, a tough start to go into. And their first game, I think, is against Hammerby for, after this break. One thing I just wanted to say quickly, by the way, is isn't it crazy how uh, I think Sweden are playing on the same day that the elite, uh, the Ottawa's going to return? Um, I'm pretty sure there's a game where, yeah, Sirius against Sundsvall is on 
3rd of July at uh, 6 o'clock. Which is the same day as the Sweden game, right? Yeah, it's a strange one. I think the, the, ne the next main round of fixtures uh, are on the 7th of July, um, which is understandable. Yeah, this one-off game, I don't really know why it's being played when it is... I'm sure there's some sort of reason somewhere, but it is, uh, yeah, it may even overlap. I think if it goes to extra time and penalties, then it may even overlap in from the Sweden game. So, <laughs> Swedish fans will be watching Serious Gift Sundsvall or, uh, <laughs> or the Swedish knockout last year World Cup game. I don't think the, att the attendance will be particularly high there unless they get a big screen or something up um, with the game on before this Alsvenskan match starts. But, yeah, um, yeah, but in terms of the Alsvenskan, obviously that is getting coming back into action in about a week or so's time, and that is wide open at the moment. Uh, Hammerby stay top, but they've lost a key man, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Pardib has gone to um, to a Chinese team uh, recently in the last few days. Actually, he's um, he's the second top scorer in the league, so it's a blow for Hammerby, who, who, whose title race is, is going strong at the moment. But uh, yeah, I mean, whether how they replace him won't be seen. Um, he's also the player of the month, obviously, for for, for the um, most recent month of the offense game. So yeah, um, bit of a blow for Hammerby there. But uh, yeah, things will be interesting to, certainly. But I think everyone's focus is on Sweden and the national team at the moment, to be honest. Yeah, I think it certainly is, and it's understandable. World Cup fever, perhaps the expectations were not that high either, which is making things feel even better for them. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how it goes. I think England-Sweden would be a fantastic quarter-final. And, um, you know, and then, obviously, focus will go back to domestic matters there. But uh, who knows how far they can go. Um, I was, I'd just like to say, from a personal point of view, that uh, uh, the very best of luck to Ian Birchall at Ostersunds. I think it's a great opportunity for him. Uh, he deserves this chance. And, uh, yes, he's got tough... Uh, a tough act to follow in Graham Potter, but um, I, you know he's at, he's at a good team there in Austin. Some, some quality players to work with, and I'm eagerly anticipating and looking forward to watching uh, some of his games. So, very best of luck, Ian. Well, let's move on to Norway then, mate. And uh, unfortunately for you guys, you're not actually at this World Cup, uh, I'm afraid. But uh, that doesn't mean that the world has stopped in Norway in Norwegian football, has it? So, uh, Give us some updates from the uh, World Cupless Norwegians. How, how's the league going? And um, I've heard there's been quite a lot of managerial uh, changes at, at the moment. Well, I guess that's what happens when you can concede goals to San Marino, uh, John. You're certainly not going to any World Cup when you do that, are you? So, uh, well, it's been a really bizarre period in Norway. They've, they've seemed to have played games quite sporadically. Um, it seems like they've had a round of games, then two weeks off, and then another round of games. And it's all a bit crazy, really. I think we've got three rounds in a row now, then a month off, and then it'll be back to pretty much normal from about mid-August onwards. But uh, yeah, well, Brand obviously the big story unbeaten in 14 games. But yeah, managerial changes have been three recently. Um, Strum's good, sir, uh, just replaced Scullerud with uh, an interim manager, Bjorn Petter Inger uh, Bretson, who um, a long-standing history with the club. And there's been two other... Well, sackings. Arno Erlandsson has been removed from Lillestrøm and Tony Ordinas. A bit of a shock, this one. Um, Starbeck have decided to to sack him as well. So, yeah, it's maybe that time of year in, in Norway where there's uh, a lot of managerial merry-go-rounds. So, uh, 
How's the league been looking? Uh, from a league perspective, how's how things been going? Have you have there been any shocks for you? Um, um, obviously, Brand being unbeaten is a shock. <sighs> they've done incredibly, but they've only conceded five goals in fourteen games. Brandheim have been a big story. You know, the part timers from Trondheim to the third place in the league. I think there's a few signs perhaps that they're starting to slow down now. Ranham are the big, big shock of the league. And I think they will be right until the end of the season unless they dramatically fade. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, seven point gap for, for Brand against uh, over Rosenborg at the moment. And um, it's in their hands to, to, to win this title now. So, but yeah, on to these managerial changes. And, uh, I'm going to have to really have a go at Starbeck, I think, John, because I, I really can't believe if sacked Tony Ordinas. If you look at what he's done with this club, he took over a team two years ago that only had seven points from 12 games and he got them to survive via the, the playoff game at the end of the season. He's developed some fantastic young players at the club. The resort, He's had no resources at Starbeck. Um, he's developed players. He's got someone like... Ui to score shitloads of goals. And, you know, they're playing a style which is very attractive and watchable. You know, he's got fans on the seats. With the Starbeck game, you're not going to be boring. So, all right, they're, they're in the relegation zone at the moment, but it's not, they're not that far behind or anything. And what do you expect when you're given the resources that he's been given? I think it's a really poor decision from Starbeck. And uh, I'm, I'm really, it's a shame for Tony Ordina. I could definitely see uh, another club in Norway, the top league, coming in for him because he's fantastic at working with, with young players. He plays a, an attacking style of football and um, I think he's got a great future. So I'm just, I can't believe Starbuck have, have sacked him. Shame on them. Yeah, it sounds like you're not happy to have to please with that one. I mean, in fairness, though, if I was balancing out with Devil's Advocate, they're, they're in a relegation playoffs. Is that should they should they be? Is that sort of the preseason expectation, or are they underachieving? Or did you just think that he would get them out of it and it was premature? Well, he's got them out of it. He's got them out of it before, so obviously that was a big positive to fall back upon. The players, I think, really get on with him, and he's, a lot of these guys in the first team, he's developed himself from the youth ranks. So yes, they're in the in a relegation battle. They've only won two games. And I think the biggest criticism that most would have of him is that, from a tactical point of view, they just don't defend well enough. But sometimes that's individual mistakes from younger players. And there's nothing you can do about that sometimes. They've just got to learn themselves. And I don't really blame the manager for it. And at the same time, on the flip side, if you want to play attractive sort of attacking football, sometimes you've got to sacrifice a little bit at the back, haven't you? With a bit more luck here and there, they definitely would have had at least two or three more wins, in my opinion. And there's no doubt that they that they would definitely survive if he, if he stayed on to the end of the season. So, yeah, poor decision in my book. I think it could cost them as well. If they don't bring in the right sort of replacement, um, then I think um, it could be very problematic for Starbeck. Do they have anyone in mind? I don't know yet, really. I think it's one of them... Uh, things that go on that uh, there's a long way to go there's this three game period before a month off so maybe they'll just go a caretaker until until that period and then appoint someone uh, let's see it's uh, it was a surprise to me I said really big surprise you know I move on to the Lillestrom sacking of Arno Elanson I can understand it a little bit more but even in that instance I think it's quite harsh 
I mean, this is a man who won the Norwegian Cup with them last year, for crying out loud. And, you know, suddenly 14 games in, they're not even in the relegation zone. They've only lost two of the last seven games. I, I can understand it a little bit more with Lillestrøm because I think they were fading a bit and there have been reports that he's lost the dressing room to, to an extent. Plus, in I mean, some people would say from a footballing point of view, he's a bit of a dinosaur. You know, it's, it's like that, really. You know, a couple of sackings. One, you say is justified. One, maybe not. Is that does that reflect the sort of a trend in Norway? You know, and generally, what's it like there? They, do they have patience? Because you'd think that they, you know, if they're building a young squad at Starbuck, they'd have maybe a bit of time. What's your um, you know, what's it like in terms of the patience of of of, of clubs at you know in, in a top level in Norway? It's usually quite good, I would say. Um, in in general, if usually a manager will only be, be sacked if the, the situation is pretty dire. And uh, usually you're given quite a lot of time. I mean, these uh, the good thing about Norway is, is football is not a matter of life or death up there. You know, like the Premier League in England, where the cost of being relegated is however many million now, 100 million or whatever it is. That's not the case in Norway. And so I think there's more willingness to give time to, to managers. So, I mean, sometimes, obviously, I mean, look at Magnus Powell earlier in the year at Sandefjord. He wasn't given long and he was on, on his bike. But... For obvious reasons, um, but for, for the most part, I think the the, the presidents and, and uh, the board are, are quite uh, patient. And this is why I'm surprised with Starbeck. It looked like they had a long term project going with with Tony Ordinas there, and um, they've decided to end it. So, you know, in the, in the case of Lillestrøm, I think it's a little bit more understandable. But uh, and this one final managerial change was at Strom's gusset. Uh, to say, I think it was needed. Skullrud, it just wasn't working. And I don't think the player, he, he don't think he had the players anymore. So a good decision to move on from him. But uh, yeah, three managers have gone in the last few in the last few weeks. And interesting times have been Norway. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, before we leave, uh, obviously, can't avoid the fact that Bran are top of the league. And it's really quite stunning, isn't it? I mean, I remember we had a, an episode last season called Bran Flakes, in which we analysed their squad in detail. And, and uh, it was quite enjoyable to do, actually. And we looked at the city and the team. What are the strengths, maybe, and weaknesses of Brand, and do you see them holding out against the mighty Rosenborg? Could they actually win the title? Um, and just tell us a little bit about that squad and you know the key figures behind this this, this rise that they've had. Twenty-one goals scored and five conceded—that is pretty impressive. Well, it doesn't take rocket science to work out what is their big strength, and it's defence. They've got players like Vito Vermgor, Bismar Acosta, and they've got quality left and right backs um, in those positions. And they're so hard to break down. They're a brick wall and they play with great discipline. Even in the midfield, they play with great discipline as well. I think up front is perhaps their, their one really weak spot. I mean, some people would actually disagree with me, I think, here, in that um, they, they just, I think they really need. I mean, Skalovic has scored six goals for them, which is fine, absolutely fine return. And he's done a lot better than I thought he would. Really, they can de get someone better in that position if, if they had to, uh, someone a bit more quality in class. But the type of striker he is probably suits their system. So maybe, I mean, if, if it isn't broken, why fix it? So maybe Brand just need to keep with the keep faith with the players they have. Do they need to reinforce in this next transfer window? If there's one position that I would reinforce in, it would be in that striker position. Uh, if not just to give some competition to Skalovic. But uh, yeah, defence is just immense at the moment. 
obviously they're going to have to hope that all of their, their defenders do stay fit. But uh, with a seven-point gap right now, it's definitely in their own hands. I think Rosenborg, they're always, you can't rule them out. Of course you can't. But I'd be interested to see if, if the, the European qualifying takes quite a lot out of them. Uh, in the next few weeks, because they they'll probably end up playing Celtic and maybe get knocked out by them, but then they'll have a Europa, Europa League qualifier. So, yeah, it's a great period for Brand to try and extend their lead. If they can get a ten point lead heading into September, it should be that should be enough, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, and you have to say, you know, that it seems like they're doing a fantastic job there uh, at Brand. Um, you know, credit to the manager there, I think it was Lars, Lars Nielsen. Um, I guess my final question really to you, Steve, is uh, putting you on the spot a bit and uh, forgive me for doing that. But um, in a word, yes or no, will Brown win the title? Yes, Brown will win the title now. I, I, I think they'll um, they'll secure it. It's going to take a bit of an epic collapse. And they just seem too solid right now. Uh, it just feels like it's going to be their year, John. So, yeah, Brown, Brown will win the title. Fantastic stuff, mate. And, um, yeah, I think we'll leave it there, I suppose. There's going to be lots of games coming up. Um, obviously, obviously World Cup fever is the main thing right now but uh, yeah I've enjoyed that and it's good to catch up with you mate yeah I think we'll leave it there and um, yeah good to catch up with you hopefully we can do it again some point soon and uh, yeah it's it's all uh, some really interesting times coming up in the next week or two so yeah hope you all enjoyed this one and we'll uh, catch you again next time so fancy yeah. Sweden do you to, to, to win the World Cup or beat Switzerland no no not for, not for me, Clive. You think they'll go out against Switzerland? I think I think Sweden will beat Switzerland. Okay. I, I well say beat them. I think they'll qualify against Switzerland, but I think the quarterfinal, whoever they play against, that will be their ceiling. Fantastic stuff, mate. Well, great chatting to you as always. Same here. So, uh, so take care, everyone. We'll see you around. Goodbye.